Hello and welcome to the first episode of The Directors. Uh, I am Cooper Knowlton, and with me today is my business partner, David Alfano. We are the founders of Trials of Miles Racing, and at some point, maybe we will dive deeper into our backgrounds and who we are, but this is the first episode of this podcast. We are lucky to have our friend Brian Mister joining us from Charlotte, the race director of Around the Crown 10K. Again, this is the first episode. We have no idea where this conversation is going to go, but we're stoked to have Brian and stoked to just kind of see where this format goes and see where we end up taking it. But just, I guess, maybe a minute before we dive into Brian, I think the goal here is to chat with interesting race directors, people who are doing interesting things in this space. It's what Dave and I do, putting on running events, and I think we're excited to just have an excuse to chat with people who are doing cool stuff. If no one listens, I think that's totally fine for us because it's just kind of a fun excuse for us to have these conversations. So I think the first place we wanted to start, Brian, was to have you give a pitch for Charlotte. And right now we're doing uh, Chase the Throne with you guys in Charlotte. We're doing it all over the country. This is the first time we've ever dipped our toes into the world of the Charlotte running scene. And we would love for you to give a pitch for why Charlotte is maybe the most underrated running city in America or one of the best running cities in America. But I think Dave and I are definitely uh, persuaded that that it belongs in, in that conversation. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I love being a lab rat on any of these things or a pilot series of a what's to become a, a world-renowned podcast in our niche of niches. I'm excited to like listen to who y'all bring on from the race director side, not from the runner training for their first 100K or whatever it may be. Like the race director side, I was trying to find some other ones when you brought up the idea and I listen to them every now and then and I find the select subjects that I want to learn about sponsorship or operations or whatever maybe I I'm still wanting more information out there which I feel like that means demand is higher than supply right now and I'm excited to see who you'll talk to what also excites us is the idea of like trying to get some guests who are not in the running world too like people who are doing Ironman you know, organizing iron triathlons or organizing cross-country ski events or swim meets or stuff like that. I think that's what is also kind of where we're hoping to take this, but. Totally. And I think on that too, like that's where we're looking. So, sorry, I'll get to Charlotte in a second, but I think when we're looking for new ideas, we're looking at music festivals. We're looking at cycling events like cyclocross, the more like random stuff, the weird stuff. Cause like we look at ourselves as more of that than a traditional one mile or whatever that, you know, maybe it's, I want to know like what's getting communities pumped to come out and do these fun things in their city. And to tie that all into your question, Hey, give me an elevator pitch on Charlotte. I'm glad you asked it that way. I feel like a lot of people are like, tell me about around the crown. Tell me about this. And it's like, look, I, I love around the crown and it's awesome, but I'm doing it because I love Charlotte and I want the Charlotte running scene to, to really grow. So I appreciate you asking it that way. And I think what I'll say about Charlotte, especially on the running community, and, and really I think it delves out to a few other little industries and communities, if you will, is we're highly connected. The essence of a, a little big town. Like, sure, we've got a skyline and there's two million in our metro, but if you know one person in the running community, you know everyone in the running community. And I think there's good and bad to that. I think these days it's it's serving more good than it is bad. And I really do feel like it's one of those, like the rising tide floats all boats. Like, we're doing around the crown. We want 7,000 people out to our race, but at the same time, we want people coming into the Charlotte Marathon and doing the half in the spring and the full in the fall and like, you know, everything else. It it goes beyond that even. It goes into the just 
what you're talking on, on the swim meets and the triathlons, like we're proud to be an active outdoor city. Our weather is damn near perfect all the time, except for Southern humidity, but the majority of us are used to it. You've got some now tornadoes apparently, but we're inland from hurricanes. We don't get much snow, unfortunately. I'm heading to the mountains this weekend to go find some, but weather's pretty good. Hills aren't bad. We've got, they call it like the rolling hills of the Piedmont, which you'll kind of find. It's one of those like mysterious cities. Like you didn't know it had hills and then you come to do a race and you're like, where the hell did this come from? Like I thought I was training to go run the like the outer banks of North Carolina where it's flat at or whatever, but it's just a good running city. Our infrastructure is really eating it up right now too. Like looking at our municipalities, like Park and Rec is building greenways. I just saw an announcement, like eight new greenways coming in 2024, either like, you know, little legs off of it or segments. And I think it's upwards of like 15, 20 miles getting added, which may not sound like that much, but when you think of like, it's a million dollars a mile pretty much to build a greenway, there's a lot of money that we're investing into it. And it just seems to be getting better and better. And the city is grasping it and loving it. Like our local visitors authority is into it. Police are getting a little more into it when it comes to helping us create these races. So it feels like, and obviously I'm biased here, but it feels like the city is into it a lot more than I feel like we were 15, 10 years ago or so. So love Charlotte. I got good beer and good barbecue. When I was in college, I ran at the University of Charlotte and we stayed on this major highway and we all wanted to go run over to the track. And I'm like, this is like the crappiest place ever to run. And then the second we started heading toward the track, it was like all trails to get there. And it was like really um, surprising because I I just thought of Charlotte as this like non-naturey, traily type city. And the other interesting thing is that you were talking about the community, you know, from some of our travels in other cities, we've noticed that some of the cities are very like fragmented and they do their own thing. And that's one of the cool parts about the the series we do in the summer is getting everyone out. But the fact that you've been able to do that with Charlotte and inevitably we have to talk about, we have to talk about your event a little bit and like 7,000 people that it didn't start at 7,000 people. Like what's the 30 second version? How'd you get 7,000 people? I am an alum of UNC Charlotte. So glad you get to come to our our lovely establishment that has, what what year were you here? Not to call out ages too much. Uh, I competed there. The A10 Outdoor Championships were like, oh, seven or oh, eight. I I, I blew up really bad. Mm-hmm. Small experience wasn't great, but the, the jog the day before was, was really quite nice. And I think you guys posted some cross meets there after I graduated, but yeah. I'll be searching results to find that time for sure. But that's about when I came in as well was oh, seven, oh, eight. And when I moved to Charlotte and I was, I was coming to UNC Charlotte, and Charlotte has changed so much since then too. The, the university, especially like 07, 08, like we barely had a basketball team. We didn't have a football complex. We didn't have anything. And now we're expanding our football stadium to fit. I think we're going to go up to 25,000 seats or so, which obviously is you know nothing compared to a Michigan or any other like Southeastern school, but it's a lot more than I had when I was here. And there's so much more connected to the city because there's now an uptown campus and a university campus. And that greenway that you ran on to get there has now almost completely connected into uptown and it's it's cool it's really cool and then from the like the nature side of it the other thing that's pretty interesting is when hurricane hugo came through back in like late 80s it like devastated our treescape and this nonprofit called tree charlotte came along and was like ah like we're not going to have that like we we really want trees and they have just been planting and planting and planting trees. So now anytime you like fly into Charlotte, you really don't see the city very much. You just see like trees. It's beautiful. My my wife moved here from Phoenix. And when she said she got here, she's like, I felt kind of claustrophobic. Like, I feel like I couldn't see the sky as much anymore. Whereas in Phoenix, obviously, you got like a cacti or two here or there. So it's it's a pretty dense 
forest here, which is kind of badass. You don't think about that when you think about two million in the metro type of deal. It's good, but around the crown. So we did start pretty big, actually. We started our first year, we had just under 5,000. That's the first year event, 5,000 people right out of the gate. Yeah, the other part of it, though, what I mentioned earlier is like the running community is so connected, can be good, can be bad. I had been in the running industry here in Charlotte for 10 years before that. I started what was like the first brewery run club, which sounds kind of stupid, but now there's 20 brewery run clubs. I mean, you've got three, four a night. Some of them have upwards of 300 people, like... They didn't have that when I was here. And I was like, I'm working at a brewery. Like maybe some other people want to grab a beer afterwards. Like this could be cool. So I started at Noda and the first week it was three and then it was 13, then 30. And I think within like two months, we had a hundred to 200 people out here. We did a 5k in the first year and had a thousand people at it. So it was like very quick. My name, be it good or bad, got out there as like, this is someone who likes running in Charlotte, like and connecting people. So from the brewery, I went out to the U.S. National Whitewater Center. Have you guys heard of this place? Only, only in previous conversations with you. Yeah. 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 Awesome place. I forget how many acres it is. Probably like 2,000, 2,500 acres, something like that. And it has like 50, 60 miles of trails. I was doing race directing out there for anything from canoe, kayak to climbing to mountain biking, running and loved it. This is just before I got married, no kids. So I was like spending most of my week out there camping randomly in the woods somewhere, then putting on a race the next morning, then a movie that night, then yoga in the afternoon. It's just, it's described as the most badass backyard. There's probably 200 beer taps, a couple restaurants, a man-made whitewater rafting facility. It's, it's awesome. When you guys come, you gotta check it out. So I was there for a bit, then went to the Charlotte Marathon, helping out with marketing there. So again, like my name was just kind of always there and I was doing stuff on the side to the point where my wife and I were like, we've got too many ideas that we're getting kind of shot down on by other people. Like we'd rather be the name on the line that is the one either pushing harder or not pushing harder or whatever that may be. So we took about three years to really come up with Around the Crown and really it was just talking to the government about shutting down a highway. So the majority of our race goes on Charlotte's inner beltway, I-277. And that was the peak of the conversation with them. And it it took that long to get those permits in place between state DOT, city DOT, county parks. There's a private highway that's a part of it too for like toll lanes and stuff. So it took that long, but we never released what we were doing until like nine, 10 months out of like, I'm stepping away and we're going to see what we can do with this thing. So yeah, when we launched it, I had put in like a six month notice with my job and I was like, Hey guys, I'm going to try this thing out. Like, I don't know if it's going to work or not. We'll see where it goes. And we announced it and we had 1500 people sign up in the first like two weeks. So I immediately went back to my job and I was like, Hey, I got to pursue this thing. Like here's my two weeks. Actually, it's not going to be six months. I got to, I got to jump on this thing. And it was all community based. I mean, that's what we were talking about just before we kind of hit this off is like, we weren't just showing up one day or one weekend to shut down streets and piss people off. We were constantly out in the community at run clubs or doing different neighborhood activities and stuff. But still, like shutting down, shutting down a highway must have been. How did you convince them to shut down a highway? Because as you can imagine, some cities where we're planning events, shutting down one block of a residential neighborhood is absolutely quarantine. We are we are trying right now to shut down a block or two blocks in D.C. for a for a summer event, and it's one of the more challenging things I've done as a race director is to shut down two blocks on a residential around a brewery in Washington, D.C. is like pulling teeth. Shutting down a highway is like, can't even imagine. I'm sure. I think it's one of those like college resume things. It's not what you know is who you know type of deal. And I think that's what ended up helping me. And I think it it was a mix of that. I knew one person in DOT who was 
middle manager type of thing. He had enough play to like get me to the next person. And that's what kept happening is we just kept talking to the next person that was a little bit higher or was in this entity. And I think it was one of those things too, where no one really wanted to say no to us, but no one really wanted to say yes. Like everyone was like, I kind of want to see if this guy can do it. I kind of see if he can pull it off. Like, I'm not going to be the one to make him fail because I'm sure he will anyway. Like, I just don't want to be the one to drag him down. I feel like I encounter that a lot in this world. A lot of times it's like you're not getting a yes or a no. And sometimes if you just keep plugging away and you might get to a yes, but you also might spend a year of your life just in purgatory having no idea where you are. Yeah, it was just a mix of that for sure. I'm very thankful looking back on it now that early in our marriage, like no kids. I mean, like now trying to do the type of hours and the like mental strain that was beating your head against a concrete wall. I don't think I could do it. It was pretty hilarious. But I mean, to the point where I think it was like the day before we had like a press conference, like at the government center and all the news came and we're like, you know, what, what are you doing? How'd you do this? How'd you shut it down? And I remember like one of the higher ups at the local DOT, like looked over at me before he got on the microphone. He's like, dude, how did we do this? Like, why did we not tell you no? I'm like, dude, no time now. Like the, the registrants are in, sponsorship money's in. Like we can't back out at this point. Like, sorry, bud, you had a chance before. We're, we're doing this thing. And there were so many like major hiccups along the way too that we just kind of stumbled our way through and ridiculously thankful for my wife just letting me attempt this stupidity. And now it's turned into something pretty cool. There's no event, even that we do, even on the small scale on a track event where it's not like, okay, roadblock, let's try this. Okay, we're good, we're good, roadblock. So I think that's a good like reminder to anyone who is is planning an event and is getting discouraged. Like that's why we're in this space. We're we're the idiots that are willing to like bang our heads against the wall every time we're told no. But yeah, I, I think the other part of it too, knowing I think y'all are this way too, of open book, absolute open book. Like email me, direct message me, text me, whatever it is. If there's ever questions, and I feel that about Charlotte, and I feel that about the running industry in general. Like don't feel like you have to try to navigate whatever that issue is. Reach out to another race director. and I'm sure they'll help you. And if not, message one of us and we'll help out. No, you're 100% right. I mean, we've gotten a lot of a lot of events off the ground by kind of what you said before, whether it's someone you know in that community, in the government, in, the, in that run scene, like you're always better off trying to find a person who can help you. And most people are very, very happy to, to lend a hand in these situations. So remind me the date of the event. September 1st this year. We do it the Sunday of Labor Day weekend every year, barring a global pandemic. Gotcha. It's always been the same time. Yeah, for sure. That Honestly, the year 2020, we're trying to make this super political, but 2020, before the pandemic came out, they let us know, hey, Republican National Convention is coming to town. Trump's coming to town. It's that weekend. Like, there's no way you'll be able to do anything around that. So we already were kind of switching around and then pandemic hit. And we ended up changing some things around. But yeah, every year, but then we did a pretty cool alternative event. We called the Truest Time Trials and I had some fun with like a open course marked on the ground through like cemeteries and all kinds of stuff. It was the wildest event we've ever done and helped out for sure. But yeah, always Labor Day weekend. So right now we're, I don't know, nine months out. What What is a kind of race director is occupying the majority of your time? Obviously, you've been doing this for a number of years, but like we mentioned before we started chatting that you're having a launch party tomorrow and just kind of curious, like what's keeping you up at night? What is like taking up most of your time? Where are you at nine months out? And then maybe we can talk kind of how that changed, how that evolves throughout the year. Yeah, for sure. So I, I think we kind of call this up until tomorrow, which is the launch for our 2024 registration. I think it's the community starting to know this is like our off season. Mm-hmm. 
where you don't see much going on social and, and emails and stuff like that, which is where we're doing most of our grinding, like from two, three weeks after race in September of last year, when we're still dealing with shirts and medals and results and all that stuff, we are having those like we're digging through all of our data making sure we're getting that out to sponsors and partners and beneficiaries. And then it's a lot of those conversations since October, let's say, are sponsorship renewals, are checking in with our expo space to make sure we're good next year, renewing our permits and making sure the city still doesn't hate us and all that good stuff. And again, it's it's all positive. I mean, now going into year six, we have most of our sponsors are on multi-year contracts, so we don't have to have those conversations as much. We've kind of proven the, the use case of this, if you will. And it's it's more just kind of telling them, hey, we're we're still growing, things are going great. Here's what we're looking at. It's also attempting to find new sponsors as well. Like we now look at it from an industry standpoint. Like the industries that we're missing out on right now are like medical, insurance, and real estate. So those are kind of what I'm focused on. The other major industries we we hit, and we try to keep it in Charlotte. Most I think like 11 of our 12 sponsors or something like that are based here in Charlotte. The only one that's not is uh, Brooks just because we don't have a running setup here on the East Coast quite yet. You know, maybe one day Brooks will say, hey, we need a Charlotte headquarters and that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, it's working on sponsorship. I feel like our P&L or a profit and loss, like going through all of that statement or that all of those kind of like documents and stuff is me attempting to forecast for the next year of like, all right, what are we going to do with our marketing budget this year? What kind of fun are we going to have? look through all the feedback that we got. What do we need to change? Does the expo need to be longer? How could we do cheer stations better? Where do we need more volunteers at? So trying to get that ready. So when we launch and we have all these eyes on us, that specific question is asked appropriately in registration, or we're already talking to volunteers, or we've got messaging out there about cheer stations and things like that. So kind of majority of what we're working on right now and what keeps us up at night for sure is these like big sponsorship conversations, knowing that we want our revenue to kind of be 50-50, 50% from registration uh, dollars and 50% from sponsorship dollars and then a little mix in there of merchandise and stuff. So Brian, you started with 5,000, you're at 7,000, but I think you'd probably admit like in the last few years, this is a race that's obviously been more on people's radars, like even regionally and nationally. How's that changed either your sponsorship model, the, the asks, the pressure to manage those relationships as I would assume you're getting more in and then just to add a fourth question to that is it all primarily cash or if the right partner came along would you potentially and what makes me think of this is we did a, a 2000 person event and we had this really impressive uh photo studio come and they were giving portraits and it was like wow well, 750 to be a this tier or just have them provide a service that's valuable to the race so take that question in any direction that you'd like yeah, for sure. And and I'm pretty darn open book when it comes to this stuff because I feel like it's helpful and I have these questions for other race directors that I'm typically asking like offline and just being like, dude, how much do you charge for a presenting sponsor for a race of this size? Or how do you value the runner? And you hear a lot of different equations and you try to take it into your own. One of the ones I heard recently that I feel like could apply to y'all extremely well because what you're putting on is not a thousand person race you know for like a, a track event like it can never really beat that it's very hard to do that compared to doing that with like a 5k or 10k and one of our sponsors recently who's been helping us out a ton was like hey do like a brand evaluation figure out the value of your brand i don't want to know how many runners you have but like what's your press looking like what's your newsletter open rate looking like like bring all that in and tell me the value of your brand like try to create a number out of that we'll take 
a percentage of like your social media following. We'll take a percentage of your newsletter campaign numbers and, and maybe we'll throw in participants as well, but let's make sure that like we're evaluating you appropriately because we know that you're growing right now type of thing. And your numbers may not fully show the full brand presence and the trust the runner has in you. Cause there is so much value to that. And that was one thing that I can't say we have the formula for yet, but we are working on, this will be our first year looking at what we thought our projections would be. And if they are, that may give us the data point on like, okay, cool. Like we were able to gain 20% in our runners, but also in our engagement stats on Facebook, Instagram, whatever social media platform you want to be on right now. And a couple other things too. And some of that also being like on a impression standpoint from a PR team too. But um, the response we're getting from sponsors these days is definitely more, they're more interested in multi-year. In the beginning, it was very much dude, I don't know how you even put this thing on. Like, there's no way I'm guaranteeing you cash for the next three years. Like you probably won't even make it past year one type of thing. And it's like, yep, I completely agree. I don't even feel appropriate asking you for it. So I understand was a part of it. The other part, when it comes to like a mix of trade, be that product or whatever that marketing value or something like that, we're always open to it. And it probably always will be because if it's a new sponsor coming on, the only way I'm going to be able to sell them is if they start to see our product and digest it appropriately so and some of them still exist like a good example would be i'm so fortunate to have a car that is wrapped with around the crown crowns all over and like cool stuff we design the wrap they put it on for us they pay for that but they also they give us this car to drive around for a year so i don't have a car payment because of it which is pretty dang sweet that's a good hack <laughs> add that one to my list yeah they still give us cash too it's it's not anything absolutely insane But the amount of trade they give us, they have a billboard on their property. They let us take up that billboard. They're just cool people in the community. It's a Subaru dealership because that's, I don't know what fits our model. We kind of said, hey, if we're going to take all of the cars off the road one day, what's the best car to take you off road? And that's the kind of play we've been having on this thing for a while. And they were our first sponsor and they're always the first sponsor to renew a multi-year sponsorship. It's a local Subaru dealership. It's not even like Subaru corporate. We could probably get more money from Subaru corporate, but what we would have to give to give away of our brand to go to Subaru corporate, we weren't into, and these guys are so much better to us. So there's always some version of it. I think the other option too is like I was talking earlier about our user shirts, our volunteer shirts, kids is all brand recover here in town. And um, when we first started, they were, I won't say significantly smaller, but they were willing to give us discounts on better shirts than a Gildan and sustainably made, which is a huge focus of ours. There's always a plan. So we always kind of say like, hey, here's our deck. I'm not ever going to just send over our deck without some more information and say like, hey, this is a jumping off point. Let's have this as a conversation starter and we'll figure out how this fits into what you're able to offer. Be that coffee for our volunteers, a car for us to drive around, some products to give away in raffles to build our social. So not much of it is full cash that we definitely have a couple of sponsors here and there that do, but a lot of it's some kind of trade. If they're looking to be a larger sponsor, we do kind of say, Hey, look, if you're trying to get tier two, tier one type of stuff, you've got to have something on the line here. And most people have been responsive to that. The tier model, which I see on your website, which is like pretty popular with a lot of races, has that, did you have that from the beginning or is that kind of evolved and changed as you've gone? We had it from the beginning. The evolution that has come from it is we kind of had a pretty big gap in the middle. It was like 20,000, 10,000, and then like 2,000. Someone was like, I want to go into that 2.5 level. How do I do that? So we kind of created some more tiers. And then we also created a tier on the less expensive side for like a community 
partner. Right now we have like a local gym that's into it that loves training runners and is all about it. And they're amazing. And they give us a ton of love on social media and everything else. So it's hard to push them away and we want them to be part of it for sure. Just hearing the hearing the car thing, I just like love stuff like that. I feel like when you when you can have like relationships like that where it feels so much more it, it's not just like the sponsor writing you a check and then you're being like, Well, how do I call you out on social media and do like when when you can kind of like do cool stuff like that, I feel like the sponsor relationship is so much more fruitful for everyone. It's more fun for the for the race to have like cool ways to activate around the sponsors. Yeah. It's more fruitful for the sponsor. It's like those conversations when you can make situations like that work, like that's the dream for a sponsor, like race in a sponsor relationship. I think we've learned that from like the activation standpoint. So they talk about like the new Outback has headlights that like turn around as you're making the turn, which most cars have these days, but they're like, Hey, why don't you talk about that from like a trail running standpoint and talk about how you turn your head when you're in the trail. I'm like, you guys get it. This is awesome. Like they're not awesome, you know, crazy runners going out all the time, but they understand how to activate around what our brand is. They're good. And I thought of the other thing too, David, you kind of asked like, is it getting old or stale to sponsors type of deal? And I think what we've done that has worked really well is we have these pillars that we stand on of sustainability, inclusivity, and Charlotte. And that's how we're talking about our sponsors. So one of our sponsors is Harris Teeter, like our grocer that started here in Charlotte. And we're not talking about going to them to get the freshest bananas or whatever it might be. Like we're telling the story of their sustainability or how they're inclusive. And we've recognized that our sponsors love that so much more of aligned with what we're doing. And we're handpicking a lot of these businesses for who we want. Like we, we have businesses reach out and we will say no thanks kind of thing if they don't fit what we're working to do if they're wasteful or not inclusive, if you will. And I, I think that has started to speak some volumes too. And sponsors recognize it. When you say telling a story, is that in an email? Is that on social? Is that part of the race weekend experience? Is it like a combo of all of them? What's the traditional sponsorship model? You put the logo on everything and that's it. But I feel like with the storytelling part, you like really create that connection. So I'm just curious, like, what are you thinking of when you're like, oh, I really want to tell this local grocery store story? Like, how's that presented? Great question. And I think that's a huge part of what we do and working to be like that evergreen marketing company. We're not just that that one weekend shutting it down where there's constant activation around what we're doing. And, and from a storytelling standpoint, it's, it's yes to all of that. And then the other thing I would throw in there as well that we've really latched on to the last couple of years is video, be that Instagram reels or YouTube or Facebook video or live in some places. We, I think when we first looked at video, it was the video recap of race day. And like, that was the amount of money we could spend. So some of it was like a financial barrier at first too. But now we're looking at video of how do we tell the story of our sponsors a little bit. And, and each year, as these multi-year sponsors are kind of staying on, we're trying to tell the majority of our dollars for video and dedicate it to one of those sponsors and how they activate around us. So last year it was back to Subaru. We can talk about other sponsors. They're just the first one that came to mind, but we got the new like wilderness edition and they wanted to talk about like, just how badass this thing was. Like it has a little bit of a lift to it. There's some cool like chrome components and blah, blah, blah. So what seems like would be a cheesy video, our video team who's just like young and edgy, but in all the right ways, made this like ridiculous like Instagram promo of like the Subaru, like the paint getting dropped onto it and it's rolling around 277 and somehow they made me look like super hard. And I was like, this is sick guys, like way to go. So I feel like it's, it's dedicating some of that there. And then the other thing too, 
it sounded silly when I first started talking about it. I'm now realizing it's probably one of the better things we do as a blog. Like blogs seem so old school and so like outdated, but my gosh, doesn't send people to your website. Think about sending a newsletter. We try to send one every two weeks. Like you can't have that much new stuff to talk about. Like the course is set, the water stations are the same. So we're talking about like other things on there. And a lot of times we will mix it up of, yeah, some of it's total sponsor content and other stuff is we just sent one out. We did a, um, SWOT analysis on our business and we made it public and said, Hey, here's what we think our strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats are. And in there, there's easy ways to tell a story of what's going on. So there's just some fun ways to get a lot of this going and and then repurposing it on each medium. So you don't have to create six different things. You're just taking that one video from Instagram and then repurposing it here, whatever that may be. Um, And the last thing I'll say about video too, the other way we did it this year, and this goes back to like us looking at different events and whatnot. um, I try to do running events outside of kind of like our piece of the industry. And I do, I like the trail longer distance stuff. So I was doing a race out in Arizona underneath the Aravipa group. Do you guys know those guys? When we were brainstorming people that we wanted to talk to, Jamil was, was, was on that list. Yeah, for sure. And what he's doing in the like live broadcasting side of the world, when it comes to sponsorship and all that, like on these quarter page ads, you got Hoka scrolling on the bottom of while they're doing a 16 hour live stream and you've got 8,000 people tuned in the entire time. Like it's wild. So the one thing we saw, I did Havelina a few years ago and they did a video runner's instructions where essentially the race director just sat there and read the runner's instructions, but they did it in a cool setting and they were able to do some video overview of like what this turn looks like or what a water station looks like. So we did that last year with our runner's instructions and I sat right here, honestly, and had a nicer camera and filmed myself and talked through them. But then also we had, yeah, that B-roll of kids race in the past, or we were able to throw in like, hey, and you get your recover shirt. And we're talking about that. So it's storytelling in a little bit different way. And it's, I think it's still our most watched video. It was like a 20 minute video and everyone just watched the entire thing. We put chapters into it so you could click on to where you wanted to go and stuff. It was cool. How do you think about your personal brand and your image and likeness being associated with the race. I think there's kind of a broad spectrum of how like race directors, like how forward facing they are and how present they are. And I think you kind of have a, you're kind of like right in my mind, like right in the middle. Like I'm sure in Charlotte, everyone knows who you are, but from the outside, like there's definitely Brian. Brian is a big piece of the experience and what you're getting, but it's not too much. It doesn't feel like this cult of personality. And I'm just kind of wondering how you think about that and how you kind of navigate putting yourself out there, but also kind of not making it all about you, if that makes sense. It does. It does. And I appreciate and understand the call out and the question for sure. I feel like these days you have to be a little bit public with it. And maybe it's just here in Charlotte, you know, talking about it being small and big all at the same time. Like people want to know who's behind the new deli that's opening up or brewery or whatever it might be. And if they know, they want to support you. So if you've been a good person, the community helping out and things like that, they're there for you. And you see that. I I just feel like I'm using restaurants as the example here because you see that these restaurants ebb and flow when someone just tries to come in and set up. I'll use Philly, for example, like someone wants to come in and set up like a Philly deli style thing. And they're like, well, it's cool that you guys are bringing it here. And I I really wanted a cheesesteak, but have you done anything in Charlotte before? Like, why should I trust you to do this type of thing? So I feel like that has been a big part of it. And I think the other part of it is they see me and my family grinding to make this thing happen. They know that we're not just some money bags off in the corner, like saying, here's a check, like go help the runners out because they need it. It is very much like we're out on the, you know, the segment for Chase the Throne and I'm talking to some runners out there and they happen to recognize I've got some around the crown gear on. They're like, oh, are you part of that? And that's almost more of it is even early on, we made sure to say like, 
the ATC 10K team or we are doing this or come here with us, even though I'm still pretty much the only paid employee. And uh, we now have got some big help coming in from Lisa Landrum here. She's this year kind of becoming more of a full-time employee. But up until then, my wife has been a volunteer, if you will, doing all of our design and brand and her whole background is art and illustration, but it's mainly than me. So it's almost like you're, you're talking like you're, you know, a bigger business and I just happen to get to be the face of it type of deal. And I think it helped us too, for sure. It's something Dave and I talk a lot about it internally and how much we want to be, you know, because it's kind of same deal. I mean, the two of us, is we have a full-time employee now, but this is Trials and Miles right here. And I, I think we're always kind of like, should we put ourselves out there? Do we want to? Do we want to be the face of this? Do we not? It's hard. And I think obviously recording this podcast is a step in the direction of making ourselves a little more visible, but it's really interesting. I would have one vote for yes. Piggybacking off what both of you were saying, we took over a, a community event here and uh, I'm from New Jersey in Montclair and the, the previous director was just like the, the success of the race was predicated on her relationship with the community. And then almost to piggyback off that, it seems like people will really support a cause. I don't know if you, and you don't have to dive into the economics of your model, but we get a lot of questions. Where's the money going? Are you supporting any local groups or charities? And I feel like if people feel almost the same connection that they do to whether it's the race director or the organization as they do to like, I mean, a lot of our trials and miles events are like, we, we want people to have a good time. We want to curate experiences that are different. And that's sort of always been our focal point. But, you know, I'm learning on the community level that if you're diving into your community, part of that is, is you're giving back. So is that something that you're thinking about? And, and if you are, like, how is that messaged? Yeah, my brain goes a couple of different ways. One, isn't it? I, this is not meant to crap on our industry or, or runners at all. It's, it's always interesting to me that we are asked those questions. But when you go to a, a restaurant or you stay at a hotel or you go to a music concert or something like that, it's never like, are these dollars? Because so much of the running industry is built around like these little grassrootsy like 5K for brain cancer research, and which is a, an amazing part of the sport. But yes, then I think there is some pushback when it's like, oh, well, this event, it's a sporting event. You know, I think people sometimes have that disconnect. When you guys find that guest that has more history on, you know, how or why that started a little bit more, because I, I, I completely agree. I think, you know, that's what how running originated was the Boy Scouts 10K to do whatever it is. I'd love to learn more about that. Because again, I don't want to like crap on it. I just always find it so interesting that people are like, where you're a for-profit company, what are you doing? What's wrong with you? I'm like, yeah, we're for-profit, but like barely. Uh, I mean, it's hilarious. We have beneficiaries. We didn't go the traditional route. We went on the route of our pillars again. And I think that's what has helped more is people see that we're here for Charlotte. We're not necessarily just here for running or our business or there's some larger cause just to check the box. So our beneficiaries this year are Sustain Charlotte, which is our local like sustainable entity force helping out when it comes to anything, sustainability, housing, land use, recycling, like all that stuff. So they're, they're one of our larger ones. And then our other one is Carolina Farm Trust. So they are working to end food deserts in Charlotte, kind of hitting on the inclusivity side of things of everyone when we want to go running, we better have some good fuel in our body. And they're trying to help everyone do that. We kind of look at it from that angle of what Brooks says. We want to run happy, like a run can change a day, a, a week, a life type of deal. And I know how daggone happy I get after a run, during a run. So if everyone in my community could feel that same way, I think that would be pretty darn awesome. And that's how we, we look to them. And, and we've got some other ones along the way. Most of the 
like random things we do shares some kind of story amongst it. One of we do an opt out for our medals. So if you're someone that's around 200 races, you don't need another medal. I don't care how good the artwork is. I don't need it. Please like don't force that on me. Or what we allow is saying opt out. You don't get a discount, but we take that money and push it on to a beneficiary, a friend of mine who passed away. His friends was in college and worked with him for a while. He did some of our artwork back in 2021. We now have this whole artist series around him and our money goes to his foundation that was created to get children of color onto bikes and into art and doing this cool stuff and just being active and into your community. We could do something like that around the donut run, Dave. We could definitely, I'm sure there's a lot of people who would opt out and would be very happy to have that $5 go to go to a cause in the community. I'm sure we could raise good yeah. money doing it that way. That's an interesting, really, really cool idea. Yeah. You have an option also for people to pick how much they pay. Is that real? Is that like one through 7,000? Is everyone given that option? What, what feedback have you received? Have you seen people abuse it? Or do you really feel like it's giving the people the opportunity to run your race who are living paycheck to paycheck? Yeah, I love how people randomly find this. Like, we don't talk about it that much purposefully because we don't want to toot our own horn kind of thing. So I love that you do found a little, it. Do a little um, research, but yeah. Yeah, here here, there. Yeah, so it's called Pay What You Can. We do have a cap on it. When we first did it, we did 100 entries. Last year, we bumped it to 200. This year, we're bumping it to 300. There's no restrictions. We don't know if people are abusing it. We don't think so. It's kind of one of those, like the way we look at it is you're going camping and you see that wood pile on the side of the road and it says like, you know, here's the jar he's watching. It's like all it says kind of thing. And it's, it's one of those like, you know what, man, if you feel like cheating the system, we have a good feeling that karma is going to bite you in the ass a few weeks down the road. So go at it. I don't need to be the one to punish you. Someone will. So the reason we did it is we wanted our race to be more inclusive. This is one more way we're working to make our start line look like our community kind of deal is our play on it for sure. And Truist backs all of it. So it's a really cool activation for them. They pay us back any difference of it. So I think the minimum you can pay is like four bucks because that's the processing fee on the registration software that we use. And then we, so the way that we set it up, you can also donate to it. So if you guys were going to go register and, and you were not strapped for cash at the end of it, you can donate to either Carolina Farm Trust, St. Charlotte, or pay what you can entry. When we put it out there, it was kind of forced to because of the way the registration software made us put that in there. What we found is that runners almost made up all of the difference. Truist didn't actually have to come in. They just started coming in to try to give more and more entries into it. But we're pretty much at the point now where it's self-sustaining. So we are not losing any money. There's a really cool thing for the community. The runners feel like they are doing better because they are doing better. Our main sponsor has a huge activation around it. And it's just worked well. And, and I think the other outcome of it has been in Charlotte. It's looked at as what we've kind of learned since the the shooting of George Floyd in 2020 and all that is you have this wedge in Charlotte. It's kind of known as like the Great White Wedge. That's where traditionally white families have lived. And then you have the crescent of it, which is more where families of color live. And it's odd what you see when you look at it from a running standpoint. Almost all the races are here in the wedge. Like your running races are all in there. All your biking races are in there. And, and there's not as much, there's not as much greenway activity going on in the Crescent. And same with race registrations. You weren't seeing it in these zip codes. So since we started this, the zip codes that are not in that the, the wedge have grown double digits every year. So they're some of the fastest growing zip codes when it comes to entries. And that's pretty darn cool to see. You know, I, I we've been pretty purposeful with our language and I never want to say we want our start line to look like our community because that's almost like forcing it to happen. Like, I really want to work towards that. Like, that would be super cool. And here's one way we're doing it. I, I'm never going to be able to make change happen. It's almost like gentrification or something like it just it's not a good way to go about it. So we've found this is 
one of the better ways to to try to give people that opportunity. The other thing we've really learned out of it, actually, that I thought was interesting was we try not to do too much digging on it because anyone can jump in there and do it. There's no like, send us your last pay stub or something ridiculous like that. So we try not to do too much digging on it. We look at zip codes and we look at like gender and age. I was interested to see what looks to be a lot of people who utilize it who are either in high school or in college and their money's going somewhere else. And for all I know, maybe it's going to liquor this weekend, who knows? But I'd like to think like, this is pretty cool. Like they probably wouldn't be able to do a running race because they don't have the budget for that. And now they're going to get into this and hopefully it'll become a, a lifelong thing for them. The last question I have is as a race director, maybe we'll sort of think about this as like ice bucket challenge style, like pass it forward as a race director. And we're just kind of starting on this endeavor. Is there anyone out there that really inspires you any races that you think are really cool, unique? Who should we set our sights on as a future guest that we will then attribute as as Brian's recommendation? So one comes to mind only because of just what I was saying and I was thinking through, I, I'm sure you guys heard some of the stats or saw some of the stats at TRE of like people of color in our industry. I mean, look at the panel that we're sitting on right now, three-way males. It's pretty typical, but it's cool to see how that's changing when it comes to retail owners, when it comes to race directors, timers. Like it, it's really starting to get more diverse, which I think is going to be good for all of us because we're going to learn so much more and get to create better races. So pretty awesome. So who I will suggest is Tess. She puts on the race in Atlanta and she does quite a bit more. She's a Lululemon ambassador down there. That's how I met her. She is a force in the community doing so much good and so much cool stuff. So she's down in Atlanta and she works a lot with Monday Night Brewing down there. They've got some cool relationships with the Atlanta Track Club, who we all know is massive and amazing. But yeah, Tess is a cool chick. Challenge challenge accepted. Tess, you're going to hear from us very soon. I love it. I love that format too. Cool. All right, man. Well, really appreciate your time. Good luck with the launch party tomorrow. We will talk, I'm sure, Chase the Throne in the coming days. But appreciate you. Appreciate everything. This was exceeded my expectations. This was awesome. Same. If the five people are still watching this, I've been typing off to the side frequently. I mean, you dropped a bunch of pearls in there. And this is the type of stuff that Cooper and I nerd out on when we should be doing work during the day. And, and, One of uh, us, if Dave, you should be driving around in a donut run uh, car next year. That's our goal. <laughs> but why not? Why not? Yeah, for sure. I love it. Well, thanks, y'all. I really appreciate it. You're the best, it. Brian. Thanks, man. Take care.